The Lord bless you and keep you. Keep you. How many of you feel like you need to be kept, protected by our God? Amen. Amen. You could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17, verses 6 to 19. John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. And I invite you, you could grab that Bible in the pew in front of you and turn to page 849. 849, it's where you'll find John chapter 17, verses 6 to 19. We need to be kept. So glad we ended our singing portion with, with that song. The idea of the Bible for keeping has a couple different ideas. But what we're talking about here when we sing that, we're going to see it in the scripture this morning, is God's keeping power. It's his commitment and power to protect, to guard, to lead, to guide, to sustain. And we need that in our lives. We need that as we live in a dark, dark world. Amen? We're in our series right now called The Greatest Prayer Ever Offered. The Greatest Prayer Ever Offered. John chapter 17. It, it's amazing. It's rich. It's thick. Three weeks does not do this chapter justice, but we've only got three weeks to walk through it together. But it's about this prayer of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but learning to pray is one of the most basic practices for a Christian, yet I find it to be often difficult. <laughs> It's okay, right? If we can admit, it's tough to pray sometimes. It's tough to know how to pray sometimes. But if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the right to approach God's throne of grace in prayer. Yeah, it's a privilege, but you have that right through the blood of Jesus. And what a privilege it is. So here we are, we pray, we come to God's throne, and then what? <laughs> then what? What do we say? What do we ask for? What do we tell him? How, are we, uh, how ought we to pray? Uh, if you've ever felt like me, maybe you felt like your prayers are shallow and, and self-centered sometimes. Maybe you grow weary in prayer because you've, you've just become really redundant in the things that you just feel like you're saying over and over and over again. I was talking with a brother this week over lunch, and we were talking about this, this idea of prayer, and he said, man, I just, sometimes I feel like it just gets so redundant. And I say amen to that redundancy. Probably felt like at times that sometimes your prayers are reaching no higher than, than the ceiling in your bedroom. Lord, are you really listening to me? Am I said any, have I said anything significant that you would want to listen to? Have you felt like your prayers are powerless or cold or insignificant? Well, here we are in John 17, the greatest prayer ever offered. If we want to know what meaningful significant, powerful, life-changing prayers should look like, should look, look, look no further than God the Son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, right? If anybody knows how to pray, it's Jesus. So we're going we're to continue as we take a look at, at his prayer together. Now last week we heard John 17 verses 1 through 5, and the first thing Jesus says is, Father, allow me to return to that glorious splendor that I had in heaven with you. He said, glorify me once again. Let me, let me put on that, uh, that clothing, that robe of splendor once again that I once enjoyed. But I put on human flesh and I become like a servant. I want to be returned to that place once again. And Jesus says, I'm praying that my disciples would get to see that glory. And this is the glory and this is eternal life that I've given to them. That they may know you, 
the only God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So we saw what eternal life is and Jesus praying as he starts out praying for himself to be glorified. Well, we're going to see a transition that he makes. And I don't want to go too long. We should jump right into the text here. But before we do, I'm going to ask that you join me in a word of prayer as we ask for God's help to understand the scriptures that he has for us today. Our Father in heaven, we do come to you. And we understand that our minds and hearts have many, many limitations. But I thank you that those limitations are, are not too insurmountable for your Holy Spirit. He can open our eyes and our ears and our minds so that we can behold wonderful things out of your law. And we ask that you would do that for us today, that your spirit would be in our midst. Uh, he'd be within us and upon us. Uh, be upon my mouth today uh, and upon our eyes as we behold wonderful things out of your law. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 17, verses 6 to 19. Follow along as I read aloud. It says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they've kept your word. Now they know that everything that you've given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me. And they've received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they've believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours. And, all, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. So who's Jesus praying for now? He prayed for himself. Now he's transitioned to praying for his disciples. Uh, his disciples, those that were his closest friends right there in his midst. And I don't know if, if I were you, I, I, if I were them, if you were them, we'd probably be listening real closely. Man, Jesus the Lord is talking to his father right now. This is amazing. I want to hear what he has to say. He's praying for his disciples. And he calls them his own. He says, I'm praying for my own. Isn't that precious and intimate? That he would think of his people as his own? That he loves them? They were those that were given to him by his Father. So he came to the earth. The Father gave them these disciples. And he says, I'm giving them eternal life. And I'm handing them back over to you. Because I'm leaving this world. They are the fathers, and the Father gave them to Jesus from out of the world. You see, at one time, they were a part of this world. They were a part of this system that is under the control of Satan. But Jesus called them out of the world, and he sends them back to the world to call more out of the world to join this divine family. But they're left in the world to bring Jesus glory. Well, how do we know this? Well, they've believed in the Son. They've believed in Jesus. They believe that Jesus came from the Father and that all things that are His are also the Father's. 
They're remaining in the world, but they're no longer of the world. They're sent on a mission, the mission, to reach others with the good news about Jesus so that they may also come out of the world. So that's who he's praying for, these disciples. These that are from the Father, given to Jesus, belonging to Jesus, going back to the Father, and he's committing them to the Father because Jesus is leaving the world. But they have to remain there in the world. So why, why is he praying for them? What's, what's the urgency of this moment? Well, he's praying for them. We see this in verses 14 to 15. Because these, those who, the, who are his own, they're the object of hatred from the world. Because the world hates their message about Jesus. You see, the world hates Jesus' holiness. They hate his goodness. They hate his righteousness. They hate his light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But because the world loves the darkness, because they love their deeds, because their deeds are evil, they hate the light. And they hate the light that these men are going to go and proclaim. Not only are they hated by the world, but these disciples, the own of Jesus, they're targets of the evil one who wants to defeat them and watch them fall away from loyalty to Jesus, rendering their mission a failure and a flop. I don't know about you, but sometimes following Jesus, I feel like that. I feel like a failure. I feel like a flop. But Jesus says, I don't want them to fall away forever. Protect them. You see, the world is dirty. This world's a dirty place. We see it on our streets. We see it on our TV shows, our movies, our music. We see it in our households. We see it in our language. We see it in our workplaces. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we live in this world, but gosh, after a while we feel, I just feel like I got the dirt and the filth of this world is kind of clinging to me. I need to be cleaned up. This world is dirty. This world is dangerous. We prayed for persecuted Christians earlier, didn't we? This world is a dangerous place to live. This world hates our Lord. They hate his life and they hate our message. Uh, but not only that, but this world is under the power of the devil. It's dirty. It's dangerous. It's under the power of the devil. And as Christians, when it comes to this world, we don't get luxuries. We don't get the luxury of, of compromising with a world that is evil. We can't just give up the faith. We can't say, well, you know what? These truths, these convictions, they're really tough to hold on to in such a dark and dirty and dangerous place under the control of the devil. Let's just, like, tone the message down a little bit. Let's just lighten it up a little bit. Make it a little bit more appealing to this world. We don't have that luxury. The other luxury that we don't have is that we can't go away and hide and seclude ourselves. We don't get the luxury of checking out and disengaging from this world. We don't get to go in our holy little huddles and build up these walls and say, I'm going to stay safe in here and not go out because I don't want to take the arrows from this world. No. No. Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, believers are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Do you see the distinction there? We have to be located in the world, but we don't have the luxury to be like the world, and we don't have the luxury to be disengaged from the world. So how are we going to survive? How was Jesus' friends, the disciples, how were they going to survive in a dirty, dangerous world under the control of the devil? Well, Jesus is praying for this very reason. He's praying on behalf of his own. What does he ask? You see, Jesus has no intention of losing any of his own. Now, if you come over to my house and you play board games, I've noticed some people, I, I, love, I love playing board games, and there's some folks, they just want to laugh and have a good time. That's great, but I'm in it to win it. All right? I'm in it to win it. I don't have any intention of losing. And Jesus here is saying, I don't have any intention of losing any of my own. 
Jesus doesn't take his own out of the world just to let them get lost back to it again. Jesus doesn't play silly, frivolous games. He plays for keeps. And we'll see in this prayer that not only does he play for keeps, he also prays for keeps. That's the title of our message this morning. Praying for keeps. Christian, he doesn't leave your future to chance. So we see in this prayer that the Son and the Father... God the Father, God the Son are working together to keep you safe while living in this dirty and dangerous world controlled by the devil. Title again is Praying for Keeps. And here's our big idea this morning, if if you'd like to take some notes. First of all, this big idea is that Jesus prays for his own to be kept by their Father in a hostile world. Jesus prays for his own to be kept by their Father in a hostile world. You feel like this world is hostile? Amen. Well, Jesus prays four things. Four things we're going to look at this morning, how Jesus prays for his own. First of all, Jesus prays to keep you in God's name. Jesus prays to keep you in God's name. Secondly, Jesus prays to keep you full of his joy. Jesus prays to keep you full of his joy. Thirdly, we'll see, Jesus prays to keep you from the evil one to keep you from the evil one. And fourthly, Jesus prays to keep you devoted to his mission. Let's jump in. Number one, Jesus prays to keep you in God's name. Take a look at verses 11 and 12 of John 17 again. It says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus says, first of all, Holy Father, keep these, my own, your own, keep them in your name. And Jesus, when he addresses the Father, he says, Holy Father. Holy Father. It's interesting as I was studying this, uh, you know, in, in all the Bible, this is the only time those two put, are, are put together in addressing God. Holy Father. Jesus has a specific purpose for whom he's addressing and how he's addressing him. He calls him Holy Father. He's, he's speaking out and reminding himself and his Father and his disciples that God has a unique character of purity, of holiness, of set-apartness, and it's emphasized all throughout this passage as we'll see later on in these final verses. He calls him Holy Father. Not just Father, but specifically Holy Father. Isn't it amazing that we've been given the right that we can address our God, our Creator, as Father? It's amazing. This family intimate relationship that we have with our Creator through Jesus is that we get to call Him Father. But we must never forget that He is our Holy Father. Earlier in our service, I I think He did it at 11, but also 9 o'clock, Edwin addressed our Father as Holy Father. He is our Holy Father. He's set apart. There's nobody like Him. He's holy. He's transcendent. He's perfectly pure. And Jesus is thinking, He's saying, You are our Holy Father, and we are to bear Your name, Holy Father. What it means to be in this family is to say, I belong to a Holy Father. So my life is to be set apart, is to be pure, is to be holy. He says, Holy Father, keep them in Your name. Keep them in your name. Now, when we look in the Bible and we see the name of God, the name of God, it's not like our names. My name's Matthew. 
All right? My wife's name is Laura. You could identify us. You call out, hey, Matthew, I'll, I'll turn around, right? Yeah, that's me, right? Great. But there's something more significant about God's name in the Bible. It's not just his title. It's just not what he goes by. But it's, it's a representation of his character. It's a representation of his attributes. He's holy. He's righteous. He's good. He's gracious. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's full of truth. He's full of love. He is love. That's what it means when he says, I ask them, I ask you, Father, keep them in your name. It's not just his character and his attributes, but it's also his redeeming activities, his actions in this world. You see, the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament, they'd call upon the name of Yahweh, their God, the Lord. Different than the God of the Canaanites, different than the gods of the Egyptians, this is the one true God who truly has the power over all creation. He's the God that delivered them from slavery in Egypt, and so they'd call upon the name of the Lord. Lord their God, and they'd remember his character, his attributes, and his redeeming actions. Jesus says, keep them in your name. Let them remember who you are, what it means to be a part of this family, to call upon you as father, Jesus says. Now he says, keep them in your name. Now what does that mean? Well, I think it means that it has to do with being within the sphere, located within the name. It's, it's really as if you want to think about wearing a sports jersey. I got his name on, tattooed on my back. I have his name upon me. I'm located in his name. I'm known by the family name. It, it means to be kept uh, in his uh, realm. It means to keep loyal to the name, devoted to the name, committed to the name, faithful to his name. To be kept in his name means to be honoring the name of God, to be trusting in him and obeying him. Full allegiance, full obedience, full trust, full loyalty. And Jesus says, my holy father, keep these, my own in your name. Loyal to the family name. Jesus kept them loyal to the family name. Now we know that these disciples could act like knuckleheads sometimes. I act like a knucklehead sometimes. But you know what Jesus says? I've guarded them. I've protected them. The world's wanted to pick them off. Satan has wanted to pick them off, but I won't let it happen. And now, Father, I'm leaving, so keep them loyal to your name. Now, we, we think about family names, right? And we use this phrase, you've heard it, blood is thicker than water. Blood is thicker than water. You know, you may have a, a friendship or, or, a, or an association, a work association, and you think like, okay, this link is really strong, but when the chips are down, when the chips are down, blood is thicker than water. We see it all the time. The loyalties that we have for our family. Listen, I love you, but I don't love you like I love my family. Like I love my family. Right? They're special to me. You have family that are special to you. Blood is thicker than water. And Jesus is saying here, keep them in your name. Keep them loyal to the family. Friends, Jesus has said, I will purchase them with my own blood. The thickest blood you could ever find. The thing that will link uh, his people together for all of eternity is his blood shed on the cross for the remission of your sins and my sins to link us together forever. Blood, this blood is thicker than any water. Any water. God the Father and God the Son have invested deeply in bringing you and me and us into his family. Listen to what the gospel writer John says way back in John chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. 
He writes, He, being Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of uh, blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Friends, you and I, if we've received the name of Jesus Christ, if we believed on his name, we have something stronger in us than any biological tie, any political tie, any sociological tie that you could find in all this world. We've got divine DNA flowing through our spiritual veins, and it brings us together. It keeps us in his name. And Jesus is praying, Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Friends, there's so many identifiers that are in this world. I belong to this group. I belong to that party. I have this identity, this sexual identity, this gender identity. I have all these things. But friend, when you come to Jesus, he puts his name on you. And the most important thing that we could say is that I am a child of God. And I'm being kept in his name. Amen? Amen. You are God's child we're not like family. We are family. This is the most significant identifier in all the world. Jesus' blood, his blood, shed on the cross, is thicker than anything that we could ever experience in this world as an identifier upon us. In his name, we are children of God. But I want to ask you today, there's got to be somebody sitting here today. Are you in his name? Do you have his blood covering over you? Have you repented of your sin and believed upon his name to rescue you, to forgive you of your sins, to wash you from your guilt, fear, and shame, to give you new life? Are you in the name? Now, you may be jealous of some families, some clubs, some cliques that you could never get into, but this family, it doesn't shut anybody out that wants to come in the name of the Son. Would you come to him today? Come to him today. Come to Jesus, call upon his name, and he says, I will give you the greatest name that you've ever received, child of God. Jesus, as he's going away, he prays for these disciples, and he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them loyal. Keep them true. Keep them committed to this family name. And bearing this family name, it can be dangerous, but it ought not to be a drudgery. In fact, it's the greatest privilege in all the world. And so we'll see next that Jesus prays that his disciples will be full of his joy. Jesus, point number two, Jesus prays to keep you full of his joy. Take a look again at verse 13 of John 17. It says, But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Full joy. What is this joy? It's lasting gladness of heart in God's goodness, regardless of temporary circumstances. Lasting gladness in the heart because of God's goodness. We saw this several weeks ago. We've been talking about it for, for the last three chapters. Jesus is saying these things. He says, in this world you'll have trouble, but I came and said these things so that your joy would be just maxed out, overflowing. Never-ending joy. Jesus had this joy. Jesus was a man of sorrows and he was equated with grief because of his temporal circumstances. However, he had the joy of his father in his heart. Always, always had the joy of his father in his heart. 
And it's this joy. Where does this joy come from? Well, Jesus had this joy because of this relationship that he had with his Father. No matter what I'm going through on, on earth, I have a lasting joy in my Heavenly Father. And this love that he has for me, and this love that I have for him. And he says, and I'm going to pass this joy onto my disciples. Friends, the joy of being in a perfect relationship with God has been restored in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can have not just joy today, joy tomorrow, little nibbles here, little nibbles there. We get this joy that overflows comes from abiding in Jesus' love and commands. That's where this joy comes from. John 15, verses 10 through 11 says this, If you keep my commandments, Jesus says, you will abide in my love, remaining in my love, if you keep my commands, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy, Jesus says, may be in you and that your joy may be full. Full joy. And Jesus is saying, he's praying, he says, keep their joy just filled to the brim, Father. Keep, keep their joy in them all the time because they're going to this world and this world hates them and the devil wants to come after them and they're going to face all kinds of trials but let them have one thing always. Joy overflowing. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, I don't know about you, I, I love the kinds of restaurants, and specifically the kinds of servers. When I go out for breakfast or something, and I order a cup of coffee, and it's like bottomless, I don't have to like say, excuse me, can, can I get some more? I love it when they're walking around with that hot pot of coffee, right? And they're just looking. They're looking. Where's the table? Where's the table? Oh, look, he didn't have, boom, comes over, fresh, freshen up that cup of coffee. I love that. I love that. I give a good tip for that, because I love just keep bringing it on. Keep bringing on. I love that coffee. It's what got me through seminary, for crying out loud, right? We love coffee. We love it. And I love it. I love it. Jesus comes by, and he says, Father, make sure they always have a full cup of joy. Let their joy always be full. Don't let, let them ever run out. Let their joy be full. We prayed for persecuted Christians this morning. Persecuted Christians being abducted, kidnapped, threatened. Their lives are being threatened, imprisoned. What does Jesus pray for them? Oh, make them more comfortable. No. Jesus says, fill them up with my joy. Fill them up with my peace. Fill them up with my love. Give them, let them, let them have joy. Keep their cup of joy full. Only Jesus can truly follow through on his promise to give you joy. You can't medicate yourself to joy. No experience can fill it up. No sexual encounter can make you feel it. No career path, no amount of money, no high can fill you up, can fill your cup with joy like Jesus. See, this world, it offers a, a fake. It offers a cheap, cheap knockoff of joy. Jeep, Jesus offers the real thing. I want to ask you, are you feeling low on joy today? Oh, would you call upon his name? call upon his name in your heartache in your tears in your weeping in your frustration in your anger in your sadness call upon his name he says i'm ready i fill your cup up with joy jesus prays jesus prays keep them full of my joy are you feeling low on joy today come to jesus he offers the real thing he offers the real thing, joy. Do we pray for joy?
So oftentimes I, I get in my redundant prayers and Lord, change this, change that. Make her be nicer to me. Make him stop talking about me. You know, magically give me, a, you know, like double my paychecks or win the lottery. Let my team win the championship. Right? Yeah, okay, I've, I've done that before. But that doesn't give joy. Jesus says, regardless of your circumstances, you come to me, I'll fill your cup. Has he filled your cup today? Do you come to him in prayer? Fill my cup with joy. Jesus offers the real thing. However, the world under the control of Satan loves to offer cheap knockoffs, not the real thing. And Jesus knows this, and so he prays for his own, that his own would be kept from the cheap tricks of the devil. And that brings us to point number three. Jesus prays to keep you from the evil one. Look at verses 14 to 16 of John 17 again. He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Jesus here is saying, hey, I got to keep them in the world. But guess what? They're going to be in the world, but the world hates them. Why? Because it hates Jesus. The world hates Jesus because it's under Satan's control. We heard it several weeks from Pastor Tim Volstrom. He spoke on that in John 16, that the world will hate you. The world will hate you. It's like the world is the glove, and Satan fits his hand into that glove. And so you feel all this hatred from the world, but it's under the power and control of Satan. And Jesus knows this, and so he says, Father, I'm praying, keep them from the evil one while they're in the world. Now, here's a question. Why, why wouldn't Jesus just take his own out of the world? I mean, that sounds a bit simpler to me, right? Like, why would he allow us to remain here if there's so much opposition from the world? Friend, that defeats the whole purpose for why Jesus came. You see, Jesus came and he said, I've come to set people free. I've gone into the world. You see, Jesus could have remained on his throne in heaven. Philippians 2, we know that he was, uh, although he accounted equality with God, a thing to be grasped, he made himself nothing. He was equal with God. But he came and took the form of a servant. Why? To snatch you and me out of the fire, friend. Jesus came on a mission. And he says, now I'm going away, but the mission's not done yet. I've come and I've done all, the, I'm, I'm about to finish all the hardest work, dying on the cross for sins, rising from the dead, but I'm passing this mission on to them. So Father, keep them in the world. But as they go, as they go, and they feel the pressure from the evil one, keep them from the cheap tricks of the evil one. Now notice what Jesus doesn't pray for here, for his followers in the world. He doesn't pray for comfort. He doesn't pray for health. He doesn't pray for safety or wealth. He doesn't pray for freedom from persecution. He doesn't pray even that the disciples would have a great retirement plan. He doesn't pray that they would get all the right political advantages to enhance his or their authority and clout in society. He knows they're going to be outsiders in the world. No, Jesus knows that the world hates his own because the world hates him. He doesn't pray to take his disciples out of the world or to make things easier. But he says, Holy Father, Holy Father, keep them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. Why is, why is Satan such a threat? Listen to what Peter writes. 
First Peter 5, 8 through 11. Peter says to these Christians, he says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Resist him. Friends, we're called to resist the devil because Jesus keeps us from the evil one. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by our brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. And I, our elder, Edwin, he came up to me and he said, you know, he doesn't say that he is a lion, but he's like a lion. He's like a lion. You see, he puts on that lion skin and makes him look real intimidating. But under that, it's just this old serpent that's been there with us since the beginning. Satan's schemes toward Jesus' own is to turn up the pressure, to turn up the pressure and the opposition so high that we just give up our faith, that we just compromise, that we just give in, or that we flee, we run away, we get as far away as we can from all the mess in this world, and it renders our mission a flop, a failure, and totally useless that we give in to the temptation to live for ourselves here and now rather for, than for Jesus and for his eternal kingdom. But I got news for you, friends. Satan isn't going to win. He ain't going to win, friends. You see, this is a, a, like a lion's duel. We've got this, this serpent that prowls around like a roaring lion, and we know that he's great, he's the prince of this world, but greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Amen? You see, in this corner, we've got an old snake dressed like a lion prowling around. But over in this corner of the duel, we've got the Lion of Judah. We've got the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he says, I'm praying, Holy Father, keep them from that serpent that's dressed like a lion. Keep them from the evil one so that we could stand against all the schemes of the devil and we could resist him. Ephesians 6, that we could stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Friend, he is formidable, but we are not to shake in fear at this serpent dressed like a lion. We've got the lion of Judah on our side and we're called to stand. Stand. He says, I will keep them. I will keep them from the evil one. Our king is greater. Our king is more powerful. But oh, I see so many of us fixated on what the devil is up to. What's the devil up to? What's the devil up to in my life? What's he, what's he scheming? What's he trying to do in my family? What's the devil, up, what's the devil been up to in our church at Valley Bible Church? Oh, he's been, he's been up to all kinds of stuff. In our culture? What's the devil been up to in our government? Or in the world? What's he doing? And sometimes we can get so fixated on what is the devil up to? What's he scheming? What's he planning? We feel like, oh man, this lion is so intimidating. He's just a serpent dressed like a lion. But we're called. We're called to look to Jesus. He knows exactly what you need to resist that serpent dressed like a lion while remaining in the world. Be sober-minded, Christian. Be watchful in your suffering, Christian. And resist him. Be strong in the Lord today, Christian. I wonder how many of us today are living in fear and intimidated 
by Satan's power and Satan's control. How many of you today may even be a part of his family? You may think to yourself, I've never committed loyalty to Satan. Friend, we were all born loyal to Satan. Only by the power of this line of Judah, who's Jesus, this Lamb of God, can we be rescued out of the domain of darkness. I want to ask you, have you put your faith in the line of Judah, in the Lamb of God, to rescue you out of Satan's kingdom and rescue you from Satan's dominion? Will you come and join the family of God today to put your faith in Jesus? Jesus prays not to take them out of the world. Keep my own from the evil one in the world. See, Satan wants to distract us and and nullify Jesus' own people in this world. That's why Jesus also prays for his disciples that his own would be fully devoted and set apart for his mission. That brings us to our our final point, number four. Jesus prays to keep you devoted to his mission. Again, verses 16 to 19 of John 17 Jesus says and prays, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in the truth. That word sanctified, it's kind of a weird word. Unless you've taken some sort of like, theology class with us or something like that here at Valley Bible Church, you've probably not that heard that word sanctification too often. To be set apart, to, to be made holy, to be purified. It's, it's the idea in the Old Testament that the priests that would come into the tabernacle or to the temple, they would have to set themselves apart from all the things that would defile and consecrate themselves and, 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 and purify themselves so that they could go in to do their service that they were to do before God. It's to consecrate, to be set apart as holy. And Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says, keep them devoted. Keep them consecrated. Keep them sanctified. Keep them set apart for the mission that I've called them to do. Friends, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called to be in the world, but we're not called to look like the world. We're called to live in this world, but we're not to give in to the temptations of this world. We're to be set apart Set apart, devoted to this mission. Not to be distracted, not to be uh, fooled, but to be set apart. How does that happen? Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Friends, here's how we get set apart. Here how those disciples were to be set apart. They're set apart from the world by the purifying work of God's word. The word of God, the gospel message, written read, proclaimed, meditated upon, and obeyed sets Jesus' own apart from the world. We've got to ask ourselves, why is the church ineffective? Well, because they're not consecrated. Why aren't they consecrated and set apart? Because they aren't being set apart and sanctified by the truth of God's word. We need to read it. We need to see it. We need to hear it. We need to proclaim it, and we need to obey it, friends. What's the future? What's the mission for this church? Oh, we're going to be set apart by God's word for his mission. That's what we're called to do. Sanctify them in the truth. The gospel, the message of Jesus written here in the pages of the scriptures is what sets us apart and sanctifies us. We're not to be sanctified, though, just so that we can look clean and look all beautiful. We're to be set apart and sanctified for his mission. 
set apart by the instrumentation of the truth for the mission, for that purpose. Verses 18 and 19 again of John 17. As you sent me into the world, Father, so I've sent them into the world. Jesus repeats this statement to his disciples after his resurrection in John chapter 20. He says, as the Father has sent me into the world, I send you into the world. I mean, we're, we're, we know about the great commission statement of Matthew 28. This is great commission of John. As the Son has been sent into the world, so his followers, believers in him, those who are in his name, are sent into the world. A dangerous, dirty place controlled by the devil. So sanctify them. Set them apart for the mission, for his mission. Are we living on mission? Now, in, in modern days, so many organizations and businesses are focused on their mission statement, their vision statement. And most organizations or leaders are way more clever than me that can come up with great verbiage for mission statement. But think about you for your mission. Are you living on mission? Are you being sent to where God has put you just as Jesus was sent to this world to snatch people out of the fire? We prayed earlier for persecuted Christians. Those that are sent where they are in the world, some are being sent. We're sending three men from our own community here in just a few weeks to go to Liberia. They're being sent to preach good news to people, many people that have never even heard of it before, never even seen a Bible, never even heard the name of Jesus. Sent on mission. Think about those around the world. We, we saw this in the video earlier, the persecuted church. Consider this, sent ones, Jesus' own Around the world, more than 300 million, or one in every eight Christians, live in places where they face persecution for their faith. One in eight Christians live in places where they face persecution for their faith. Last year, on average, daily, 13 Christians were killed for their faith. And think about just today. Family, brothers and sisters in Jesus, 13 of us killed for their faith. 13 Christians were, on a daily basis average, last year, 13 Christians were unjustly detained or imprisoned. On average daily last year, five Christians were abducted or kidnapped because they belonged to Christian communities, schools and churches and other mission organizations. And with the pandemic... Persecuted Christians who are often impoverished and marginalized faced increased challenges and vulnerabilities. Now, I don't know about you, but these threats would certainly tempt me to get off mission, to get distracted, to get focused, to become self-centered and say, I need to get out of here. But Jesus says, Holy Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Fill them up with joy. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Holy Father, sanctify them. Holy Father, keep them devoted, loyal, sanctified, consecrated to this mission. You see, it's, it's these that we're praying for all over the world, but, but we're sent to a place too. God's people are sent on mission despite opposition. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against Christ's church. Amen? We are set apart for service to the king in a hostile world. But to be effectively sent, we have to be set apart for his mission. However, many of us just, just aren't available. Many of us are too soiled with the filth of this world to be of any use. 
We're distracted by the enticements of our age. Friend, this isn't the path nor the prayer of Jesus. This isn't his path to true joy and eternal life. Christian, he's called you to make disciples. He's called you to be set apart in this world while living in this world for his mission. To make disciples, friends. To make disciples of your kids. To make disciples of your neighbors, of your co-workers and friends. The people you see when you go to the coffee shop and at the grocery store and to your local favorite restaurant. The people that you see as you pass by at your malls doing your Christmas shopping. Jesus has called us to live on mission for his cause in this world. We, we live in the Bay Area. God has placed all of us in the very Bay Area. We think for various reasons. Well, my parents moved here, or I moved here for a job. Well, that's true on an earthly level, but Jesus has sent you on purpose to the Bay Area. Not because just of the great weather, it's great, and certainly not for the cost of living, amen? But God has placed us where we live because in Jesus, he has sent you and me and us and this church and all the churches that will proclaim his name in the Bay Area to live on his mission, to snatch people out of the fire so that they can be brought into the kingdom of Jesus, so that they too can experience his joy, so that they too can experience his life, so that they too can experience his protection and his guarding and his keeping from the evil one while still living in this world. He's called us to snatch them out of the fire so that they can be sent along our side with us to this world to reach more for the cause of Jesus. And Jesus prays, Holy Father, sanctify them in the truth. Keep them devoted to the mission. Really comes down to this. Are we willing to be sanctified? Are we willing to be consecrated? Are we willing to be set apart from this world to, but to be sent into this world living fully devoted for Jesus? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. The Apostle Paul writes this about those sent on mission. But God's firm foundation stands bearing his seal. The Lord knows those who are his. He knows you. He knows if you belong to him. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and clay, some of honorable use and some for dishonorable Therefore, if anyone, if anyone here at Valley Bible Church, if anyone around this world persecuted Christians, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, consecrated, sanctified, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I, I got to meet with one of our precious dear sisters it's been in Valley a long time, Marion Johns. Many of you know Marion. I got to sit with her about a month ago. It was amazing to, to talk with her. Um, there are moments where she's lucid and she can have a conversation. And I didn't know what I was going to say to her. I was just there to pray and encourage her a little bit. My wife was with me. But I thought, hey, you know what? I used to serve alongside her in our kids' department in Iwana. She had a second grade group of kids that she loved. And I said, hey, Marion, you know what, Mrs. Johns, you know what? You know what's starting soon? Awana. This was, you know, before we started up for the season. You should have seen her eyes light up. Her face light up. Her sit a little taller. And she went on and on and on, sometimes repeating things two, three, four times. But it was so precious to hear her talk about her mission. How she was set apart as a little girl and said, I want to reach kids with the good news about Jesus Christ. 
Now, I didn't get to see her in her prime days, but I got to serve alongside with her across the way in that family life center as, a, as an old woman loving second graders in the name of Jesus, snatching them out of the fire. Friend, what are you living for today? What excuses do you have today? Well, why aren't you set apart for service to King Jesus? It's a prayer that he has for you. If you're in his name, if you call upon the name of the Lord, his prayer for you is, Lord, Father, set them apart for service. Are you willing to be set apart? Jesus promises to keep his own. He plays for keeps, and he prays for keeps. He doesn't play games. Whatever challenge you experience today, we can trust in this great Savior who calls us friend. He's the one who helps, keeps, and loves to the end. And we're going to close with a song here in just a moment. It's a song of commitment and devotion called Arms Open Wide. And if you could stick around, I know many of you got to pick up your kids. If you could stick around, we're going to sing this together. And I invite the band to come on up. But as we do that, I'm going to remind you of the promise that Jesus has made to you. We sang this song earlier. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, Foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Friend, you can trust that Jesus, He has no intention of losing you. But I believe His prayer for us today is, will my people at Valley Bible Church and around the world Will they set themselves apart? Will they consecrate themselves according to the truth so that they can be made available to live on mission, to be sent to the places and the people that you know to preach the good news and love people in his name? So we're going to sing this song, Arms Open Wide, and I'm, I'm going to humbly be down here in the front. I'm going to be singing with my arms open wide to Jesus in consecration to him. And, and I don't want anybody to stand and with their arms open wide. If, if you still got business to do with Jesus, that's okay, you do that. But if you're willing to say, Lord, here I am. I'm set apart from you. Keep me in this world, but keep me focused on the mission. I want to invite you. Raise your arms to him and sing this as a song of devotion to him as we close. Let's sing together. Take my life, I lay it down. At the cross where I am found, all I have is good to you, oh God. Take my hands and make them clean.
today. Amen. Your commission today is sent by Jesus himself to live in this dirty, dangerous world. But he says, I will keep you. Let this be your a prayer benediction over you today. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Go be the hands and feet of Jesus, church. God bless you. Have a great day.